Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Parks and Recollection. All right. Where we visit our old friends in the great city of Pawnee, one episode at a time. I am, literally, Rob Lowe, and I'm here with my co-host, Alan Yang. What's up, Rollo? Today. First episode, season two. We're doing first episode of season... It's so shocking to me that the first season of Parks and Recollection was so, so short. That's right. It changes fast. People are like, wow, like the show changed so much. But you know what? Season one was six episodes. And as we discussed last week with Pratt, you know, the six episode season one was also kind of like season two (laughs) was kind of changing already. So here's a quick synopsis of the episode called Pawnee Zoo, episode two of season one. It first aired September 17th, 2009. Written by Norm Hiscock, directed by the great Paul Feig. So Leslie holds a wedding for two penguins as a stunt to help promote zoo attendance, but she accidentally weds two male penguins. The gesture is interpreted by the community as support for same-sex marriage. A local gay bar honors Leslie with a party, although she feels conflicted on accepting the praise. A conservative community leader, Marsha Langman, played by Darlene Hunt, demands Leslie annul the penguin wedding or resign from the parks department. Act one brick. Meanwhile, Mark and Anne's relationship (laughs) seems to develop, but Anne resists because of her loyalty to Leslie. Later, a suited-up Andy shows up at Anne's, asking her to get back together, but Anne says no. The audience finds out Andy hasn't matured and has been living inside the pit. Leslie goes on Pawnee Today, the local access talk show, to defend her actions with Marsha and host Joan Calamezzo, played by Mo Collins. Leslie and Marsha debate and take several callers, all agreeing that Leslie should resign, but Leslie refuses to admit wrong and won't budge. Later, Leslie visits Anne and insists that Anne go on a date with Mark. Leslie ends up taking the penguins to Iowa, where same-sex marriage is legal. So, wow, a lot going on. A lot going on in the episode. A lot going on, and one of my favorite visuals in maybe all of Parks and Recreation. Very last shot, camera swings from Leslie driving. There are penguins in, two penguins in car seats. That's right. I mean, if you don't... I remember those penguins. I remember meeting them. If you don't like... <laughs> two penguins in a car seat, then I don't know what more to give you. I really don't. I really don't know what more to do. That is, it's cute. It's fun. It actually is the perfect 
sort of Park's thing. It's cute, like legitimately cute, not cute in a ugh way, like really like cute and funny and weird and and relatable. It, yeah. It's a little silly. It's she's doing a nice thing. It's warm and funny and a little bit sentimental, a little bit wacky, a little bit cute. And uh, and yeah, it's this episode is just an encapsulation of the second season and where the show ended up going, which is we're going to be a little bit fun, more fun, a little bit more high energy, a little bit more topical. By the way, like yeah. this was so relatable because people people forget people were discussing gay marriage. That was the other thing. Oh, this that was, blew me away. I, like I looked it up. I looked it up. But, you know, it was still a huge issue. We were six years away from Obergefell, right? From from the Supreme Court ruling, so it wasn't legal in Indiana. And then, of course, later it became legal. But man, this was this was a tricky topic that people were discussing. So that was really relatable and I think juicy for the show. Yeah, I couldn't believe. Someone accuses Leslie of, hang on, I have the qu- actual quote. I wrote it down. Oh, it's Brandanowitz calls Leslie a social activist, and she's horrified by that. Horrified. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? I, I wrote down, it, literally in my notes, the meaning of activism has changed a lot. <laughs> it's taken for granted now that every, like, Everyone's supposed to be an activist now, yes. especially public servants. But in this episode, this is what, a, over a decade ago, she's like, oh, I can't be seen as an activist because I have to be seen as impartial. And look, there's a difference between elected officials and sort of, you know, non-elected officials, which is what Leslie is. Not to get bogged down in no, but boring that's a good details, point. but that she's is actually elected. a really yeah, good point. She's, she's not elected. Yep. So, yeah. But, but, but everyone's supposed to be an activist now. So it is interesting to go back and look at it through that lens, right, of, of, of you know, from, from 2021, it's totally different, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a real, and by the way, this was based on a real incident, right? The two penguins got married at, or they were involved at the San Francisco zoo. They were sort of, it became like a cute news story. So I think one of the ideas behind the writing of this one was, uh, we were looking at new real life news stories and like, Oh, what's the Pawnee version of that? Right. What's the sort of silly version? What's the sort of local government version? And so I think, you know, that was incorporated in this episode and it kept happening later down the line. Right. So when you think about what is the Pawnee version of anything, you're on your way to figuring out what the story is. It, it makes it really clear. You go, Oh, I know how to, how to vet stories now. If I think of it through that lens. Yeah, it's and and it's so relatable, especially compared to some stuff. I mean, we took lessons from the last episode of, of episode of season one, rather, right? It's like there was at a bar, there was music. You know what? In this one, they're at a bar, and there's music, and they get drunk again. <laughs> it's like, yeah, why not? You do you do it again, and it's so fun, and and you get other people in in the mix, right? She has an interaction with with Retta, who plays Donna, and like Donna is funny. So you you're she just kills. starting to build this world, and world building, world building turned out to be a bigger part of this show than I think anyone expected going in. It was like, wow, we're not just in the office. We're in this town. And this show became about the town, not just a little office. It became, let's build all these crazy characters all over the place. And, you know, this was the beginning of that. I think they go, you know, the Bulge ends up playing in the show later on. All these places. I go to the Bulge. Comes back many, many. You're at the Bulge every Friday. Yeah, it's just like. But Chris Traeger goes to the Bulge and it's one of my favorite, my favorite things I did as Chris, and I think it was really, really early on, and it was one of the things that everybody went, oh, that character works, where Chris was super down. Why not? It's, and, it's, and it's character building for, for Chris, too, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, he doesn't care. He's, a, he's open-minded, obviously, you know, egalitarian guy, and, and he's having a good time there. He likes fun. He <laughs> likes having a good time. So, uh, and and we, we had Ron go there, too, right? It's like, it, it doesn't matter. So, um, but yeah, building these different venues, these different characters ended up being things we could return to over and over and over again. And I think 
that that happened very organically. And so much of it is set up in this episode, even this one alone. This one for me, Pawnee Zoo, is, ladies and gentlemen, would you like to meet Leslie Nope? Starting with her rapping at the beginning of the episode, um, I mean, this is Amy Poehler at her absolute finest. What do you, you write it? You guys were writing it. What did you write differently to make it so good, so different? I like to never forget one of the moments, you know, a, a, sort of a key moment for me was we were finishing writing season one and I was in the parking lot, you know, me and Mike Shore, uh, one of the co-creators, you know, park near each other. And he, you know, it, it, it was a tricky first season for sure. I mean, there were late nights and we were just discussing the show. There's a lot of, early on in a show, there's a lot of discussion about what a show is and, 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 and what the tone is and what the er episode is and all that stuff. And he pulled me aside and was just like, hey man, I know it's a tricky first season, but we're going to look at this. And the same thing happened in the office where we just looked at the show. We kind of took stock. We got the benefit of this first season in and we're going to look at what you know, what could be improved and we're not going to worry. And he was really calm about it. And that's kind of exactly what happened because we had already started taking cues in the last episode of, uh, of season one. And then in this one, as you can see, you know, in season one, Leslie gets, uh, you know, Leslie gets shit on a lot. <laughs> Leslie gets insulted and Leslie, like people make fun of her a lot. And in this one, she starts rapping and then people are literally applauding her at the end of the cold open, right? It's like a total, it's kind of a total 180 yeah. in that sense. And she's just a lot more fun. And, um, you know, that was the beginning of it. But, you know, a lot of that is taking cues from Amy, right? And, and, and what she responded to and what she performed best and how she was funniest and honestly how she was in person, you know? It's like a person that everyone, she's one of the coolest people in the world. So it was good to sort of imbue the character with a little bit of that, at least. Guys, I actually want to bring something up really quick. Yes, you have my full attention. <laughs> Thank you. Something I love about this cold open is what happened when we actually wrote it in the room. Uh, Alan, I don't know if you remember this, um, but when we were looking for ideas, it's like a great way to, you know, we have to reintroduce the show to people who've watched it and to people who are discovering it for the first time. So you have to go with the pure comedy cold open that also introduces your characters. And I remember everyone not figuring out what is this gonna be? And then I can't remember who first pitched this idea for Leslie to rap, but <laughs> once it came up, um, I'm pretty sure Mike is the one who thought it should be uh, parents just don't understand because so you could picture Ron saying, here's the situation. And then once he had that idea, he sat down at the computer and he just typed the entire song from memory without having to Google the lyrics or anything. It was incredible. I don't know if he goes, I don't know if he goes up in my esteem or down in my <laughs> esteem based on that story. I mean, it's a pretty cool nugget, I think, to have, right? It's a nice thing, a party trick to be able to at any point have your go-to karaoke song be parents just don't understand. You just knew Amy was going to crush it. Yeah, it was incredible. And and just to put a button on it, when we then did the table read and Amy had to deliver it, it was just a bunch of people just slack-jawed and then applauding at the end, feeling that great energy of like, okay, this is what the show is going to be now. Um, by the way, I'm just going to say it. Uh, Brandanowitz uses the word literally, again, in a talking head, in this episode, it's starting to get on my nerves. Hey, man, what if what if we're sending you secret cuts where he doesn't say in the original? I think like I like that we're we're gaslighting you and he's not saying it, but we're sending you cuts where it's ADR'd in, <laughs> like it's just having him say it every episode. So just to just to make you angry, just to make me angry, like what's he doing with my thing? 
already. Um, and also, I was really sort of shocked that the last uh, episode, um, Rock Show, ended with like this quasi-romantic, uh, you know, thing with Leslie. And then in the next episode, he's asking out Rashida. They have it, it was just I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> the guy moves on. Yeah, it's like we don't want we don't want her with him anymore. I think that's what happened. But, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it, it certainly is a quick pivot. I think also like season one, the character was supposed to be like a ladies' man, like you know, sort of bouncing around from from person to person. So oh, I think that was I sort see. of the rationale. But you know, I think again, spoiler alert. But then, uh, yeah, I think they 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 do start going on a date. So so we'll see. I guess we'll see. For those of you who haven't seen the show before, I guess we'll see. But uh, it seems like it's what's leading towards. Because I had not seen these these episodes, it was a real surprise for me. But now it all makes sense that when I joined many moons later, Rashida would always say, "I think Anne has slept with everybody in Pawnee," <laughs> and now I know why because she wasn't kidding. Turns out she was just like, uh, yeah. She also, I mean, there's there's some other crazy shit that happens later. But she's just like her character, just like kind of like I want to make these people happy. <laughs> like, oh, I'll go on a date with you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm just gonna go along with you. That's why she's a good pair with uh, Leslie because Leslie just like tells her what to do. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, I just want to get along. I think this episode contains the first like truly like oh how great Leslie and hug, where they realize that they have each other's backs. And I've heard Les. I'm 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 sort of stealing Amy's talking point here, but you know, on network TV, particularly in comedies, w- true women's friendships uh, were very rarely portrayed. They were always like bitching each other out, or sandbagging each other, or or it was very superficial. But this was a real friendship, and and I think this is the one of the first moments where they hug that you go, yeah, I, I love that these two love each other. Although it is hilarious that only four episodes ago, they'd never met. <laughs> yeah, now they're fast friends. and uh, Yeah, it's television, it's television. But yeah, that was always a really sort of important thing to Mike in the writer's room. He always mentioned that that was kind of the core of the show, right? It's Leslie and Ann and their friendship and portraying it in a way that they were not toxic friends. They were not, you know, talking behind each other's back or stabbing each other back or any of that stuff. And, um, you know, that, I think that was really important to him. And I think also really early on, you know, this was y- years, unfortunately, before this conversation was being had as much. But, you know, he tried to make the writer's room as equitable as possible. I think he tried to hire, you know, 50% women. And, and in comedy at the time, that was very difficult. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places. Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Save big money and start your spring project with help from Menards. We offer a huge selection of body plants, veggies, and herbs to plant at home and grow yourself. Right now, all four and a half inch body plants are on sale through May 5th. Head to the Menards Garden Center to get your garden growing and check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. 
think about all the jump cut sequences in this episode. There's the poker face one, the Lady Gaga one. The you know, there's the opening rap, obviously the Will Smith rap, and then the the Tom stuff from Pawnee Today. Again, you're just getting more jokes per minute, more jokes per second, and that all helped with the sort of pacing and the the tone of the show. The jump cuts are so funny. There's something about the. I would like to know what the math, what the actual art, what the actual reason um cutting literally between two and three different frames of footage is the difference between a laugh and not a laugh and oftentimes it's it's the unexpected it's either when it's a little bit too early or a little bit too late i think and it just makes me laugh i can laugh out loud at a cut in parks and rec and do all the time yeah, God, in later seasons, I, I got to hang out in the editing room a little more and hang out with Dean Holland and all those guys in the editing room. It just, sometimes it would literally be shaving frames. It would be like, uh, you, it's a little funnier now, it's a little bit better. And then sometimes you'd be shaving frames for time. You, it's got to be 21.15 or something. Like, can, we sh- can we take a little air out? Can we take a little, few frames out? But man, that, they do a lot of work in the editing room to make something funnier and better and, and move more quickly. And, and uh, again, you could just see all the tools in the toolbox coming out in this one because, uh, you know, it just moves. It really moves. With all kinds of pacing, really. You, you, and, and it will be various levels of good or bad. In comedy, in, in, in cutting, there is one iteration that is the funniest. And you got to find that in editing. And if you don't, you're done. Um, Ron finally has lost his suit. This is the episode. By the end of the show's run, arguably, Ron Swanson is as beloved and important as Leslie Nope. And that character is not early on. And Nick is finding that dr- super dry, removed. Like, Ron is so involved in the first episodes. He's just kind of a guy who's there and involved and... Yeah. He's not even that libertarian. He hasn't talked about how much he loves meat yet. There's none of that glee of, like, he'd love to see it all blow up. None of that's there early on, but it starts in this episode. It's it's almost like a terrier and, and like a stone or something. He's just he's just a slab of granite or like a bear, right? Just like he won't respond. And, and that's the dynamic. It's just someone yapping at his heels and, and, and him sort of not responding and then being really dry, just like almost doing nothing, but not quite doing nothing, right? He's definitely doing something. It's also the um, appearance of the f- now famous Nope Obama leaflet. Yeah, it says Nope instead of Hope. Remember that era. Very, very different era. But yeah, it, it's kind of a cool like Shepard Fairey uh, take uh, on, uh, on that poster, right? It's, it's a red, white, and blue. Iconic. Iconic. Like, I remember seeing that and going, it's just brilliant. It was a sign that the, that the little show was going to make it. Um, I think we put all our money into designing that because we did not apparently put the money into the CGI of the penguins having sex with each other. I don't know if you noticed that, but it appeared to be a two-frame, like a two-frame gif of the penguins having sex with each other. No, no offense to the people who did the CGI. I, I apologize. But it made me laugh, though. I mean, it was very funny. It, I literally, I, I wrote down, it made me laugh. So I guess it did its job. <laughs> it wasn't, we, it wasn't a, it wasn't an MCU level CGI there, but yeah. Let me ask you, because again, I, I, I'm just a fan of these episodes. I am not in them, so I don't remember what happened because I wasn't there. There were were there real life penguins? Did you have a penguin penguin wrangler? Because that's always my favorite thing is the wranglers, and like there are tarantula wranglers. Literally, there are 
cockroach wranglers. If if there's an animal that you can think of, there's someone in Hollywood who's wrangling it. Were there penguin wranglers involved? We did have a penguin wrangler. I wasn't on set and Alan might know better, but when um, we were in pre-production for the episode, we did have penguins on set in a little pen. Did they audition? Did the penguins audition? I don't know, but they were all dressed up for the part, which was great. Um, But uh, I'm so sorry for that joke also. Um, But uh, the writing staff came down to set to visit the penguins and take pictures with the penguins. And it was so great and fun. And Alan, I have this great one of you from the uh, early season two with the penguins and Katie and Rachel Axler together with the penguins. And I think it was Rachel who at one point wanted to pet one of the penguins and the handler just immediately jumped in like a like a ninja move to say no 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 you don't want to do that mm. so i don't know what's that sounds like the kind of animal you should put in front of 200 people but they're professionals they are and they go back to their little trailers and it's so cute see and that's another weird lesson is like you're there on the ground floor and you guys all have this idea of what it should be and maybe it doesn't quite work out for budget or whatever, like you're alluding to. And I'm just an audience member. Like, I don't know what you were thinking. I didn't know what was coming. And I watch it and I just laugh. So sometimes, you know, the world works in mysterious ways because it may not have been what you guys wanted, but my God, that was funny. Those penguins having sex. I I forgot about it. It worked. And also we put black bars up. So that must have been a choice too. (laughs) It's... It's pretty great. Um, we talked about this. Is the, is this the first episode where uh, Donna Meagle speaks? I think it might be. It's either the first or second time, and she kills, kills it. it. She's like, yeah, she, you get who she is. So she's oh. very high status. Yeah, she's like, oh, I get it. You know, she's like, you're gonna turn someone out. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna turn someone out. She's like, that is hands down the best interaction I've had with Donna. That's right. <laughs> and and you get that Leslie really wants Donna to like her. So it's all you know that dynamic's already in there. Um, when Leslie laughs at Donna. Leslie's, uh, so we all know, anyone who knows Amy, the first thing you would, one of the first things you'd say about her is her laugh. You'd talk about her laugh. And when Amy directs, one of the great joys is, you know, she'd be off in the other room at the monitor and maybe you're working on a set that's farther away and you hear that cackle. And and her, the cackle is in this episode. Amy cackles, does her, it's her actual Amy Poehler laugh um, when uh, she laughs at something Donna says in this episode. And, um, I just, I love someone with a good laugh, and for sure, Polar is probably on the Mount Rushmore of good laughs. Yes, it's always rewarding, too, because it's like, man, I made her laugh. That's <laughs> also very, very rewarding. But uh, um, yeah, you just see the humanity come through, man. You can see the humanity come through, and it's just a bunch of joy. It's just a bunch of joy seeping into the show this episode. What I also like, like you said it in the intro, the act one break is so clean. It's so perfect it's like it's real stakes it's the sort of perfect mix of believable but not mundane and boring like the problem i always have with like it's going to be a celebration of the boring it's like well congratulations it's you 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 got it you did it it's boring you know that's a very hard tar everybody wants to hit that target they all everybody thinks they're so fancy and they can so ironic that they can hit that target and when they do it's genius it is doable but a lot of times it just ends up being dull and colorless. And this was this was the perfect storytelling um, break because you, 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 when she says, you got to resign uh, or, or we're going to come against you, you go, yep, 
that that works. I'm in. I'm engaged. What's going to happen next? Yeah, it's, and it, and we always look for those kind of clean, cleaner sort of act breaks, right? It, it, for those who don't know, generally, this has changed a lot, but generally there are three acts. At a certain point, they want us to do four acts, which is not traditional storytelling <laughs> structure, but there's usually in network television, there's a first act break, or usually there's a cold open, right? Then you know maybe a two-minute comedy sketch, then you do commercials or the main titles, then you do the first act. Hopefully something interesting happens. We call it usually first sign of trouble, right? It's like, oh my God this woman is going to maybe try to get me to resign, right? So that's the first act break. Second act, generally things get worse and worse and worse for your main character, and then hopefully there's a twist of some kind, and maybe they hoist themselves on their own petard. Anyway, some vari- some variants of that. And then the end of act two, it's generally like all is lost. It's, a, it's the lowest point in the character's story. And then there's a commercial, and then in Act Three, they hopefully marshal all their resources and figure out how you know how they've changed over the course of the story, and they use that to solve their problems and fix everything in the end. Or there's some connection made with the B story, which happens in this episode. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, and then yeah, then Act Three is that's it. But then at a certain point, NBC was like, "What about four acts?" We're like, "Oh no, that's <laughs> very hard." It's like, "What's the fourth act?" <laughs> But anyway, that's, that's, a, that's a business decision. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's, a, that's just them decision. wanting more commercials. Yes. That's all that is. I have a question for you. See, and I, it's great because you're from Harvard and you'll know the answer to this. My grandmother used to say, hoist yourself on your own petard. Is a petard yeah. a device on a sailing ship that if you're not careful, it catches you and you get hoisted? Man, that's, that's, that's a good question. Oh, I'm looking it up now. A small bell-shaped bomb used to breach a gate or wall. What? <laughs> what is that? It, meaning that one could be lifted, i.e. blown, upward by one's own bomb. That makes sense. You got hoisted. But then why hoisted? I don't know. See, <laughs> I think you need to say, and of course you hope that somewhere later in the story someone is blown up by their own bomb. Why not? Can't we just say that? Let's start. Bl- blown up by their own bomb. It doesn't have the same poetry, but I, let's let the two of us, if we keep getting it going now, maybe if we keep talking about it on this podcast, we'll get blown up by their own bomb <laughs> into the into the cultural lexicon. It really has no ring to it, but no. uh, but hey, hey, you're going to blow yourself up on your own bomb? What? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, hoisted by your own petard is just so fun to say. It, it I, is. I'll always stick in my mind. Stick in my, I didn't, had no idea what a petard was, but now I know. Yeah, um, I want to talk a little bit about, about the Pawnee Today stuff because that's the Act Three of this this episode, and it's the first appearance uh, by Mo Collins um, as Joan Calamezzo, and she gets a lot loonier. She's already loony in this one, but she gets a lot. Well, loonier. she's loony, but she's not drunk yet. When yes, when that's true in the era when I came on the show, she was a stone cold alcoholic on the air. <laughs> yeah. She had gone. To, she had gone pretty far into that character at that point. But yeah, it, it was. It, this was fun, man. Because this again was the idea that uh, you know the writers had to, to to sort of what is the local access? What what's their you know I guess sixty minutes or whatever? And it's this really low rent sort of potty today. There's like two cameras or one camera. And uh, it, one of the fun things I, I forgot this entirely while watching the show. Uh, the writers went to set to do to film this bit, and we are the callers who call into the show. So the first sort of chunk is I'm the first caller, so I, whatever. <laughs> and I, I was like, I, was, I was literally forgot this. I was like, oh, my own voice in the show. And then Rachel, Rachel Axler is one of the callers. The second caller is Harris Whittles, the late great Harris Whittles, one of the funniest guys who 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 ever lived. Um, and then Rachel Axler plays a child, <laughs> so she plays it. We just left it in. And then Mike Scully, uh, you know, amazing, amazing writer who used to run The Simpsons, is is another one of the callers. And 
Um, I think the plan was just do the calls, and I thought they were going to replace them later, and then I think they just didn't replace them. So it, it is very funny to listen to. I was like, oh, yeah, it took me back to to going there and recording the calls, and, and, and sort of that's kind of a fun thing, right? Because So the way it works is the writers don't always go to set. You usually go to the set. You, know, you usually go to set for your own episode if your name's on the episode, and so Norm was on this one, so he probably was there the whole time. But you know, the stage was pretty close to the writer's room, and so I think we, we got to go down for this one and watch the taping. Well, I mean, what I'm struck with hearing that story is every name you mentioned is a certified comedy genius like killers killers i mean each one of those people probably well you as you have have gone on to run their own rooms and create their own shows but the notion that all those people were on the staff of parks and recreation at this early iteration just blows my mind yeah, they did a good job hiring. They did a good job hiring. It was like, you know, a great job casting and, and, and a good job hiring and writing staff. That, that's still, you know, one of my favorite experiences was writing with all those other people. I just felt like I learned a lot and, 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 and you know, talking about Scully, man. Scully joined season two and Harris and Aisha joined season two and, and um, I, I always felt privileged, man. I felt privileged. I, I still remember the, the feeling I had viscerally because you know sometimes you're at the keyboard and you're you're typing into the script or whatever and sometimes later on in the show mike would let me sit at the computer and, and type jokes in the script and at a certain point people are pitching you're pitching what gets in the show and stuff and i look to my right and mike scully who again ran the simpsons like the show i watch as a kid like and is a just a genius level comedy writer one of the best joke writers I've ever met just pitching me jokes and I'm like nope not good enough <laughs> like I'm, I'm typing into the script I'm like this shouldn't be ha- this shouldn't be happening but he's 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 one of the coolest funniest guys there is so, I mean I, I you know I, I pretty much typed everything he said into the script yeah. but but at the time I was like wow this is really crazy to me this is this is an, this is an, an amazing experience but uh, yeah we were all there and by the way we were all doing our best we're like is this gonna work <laughs> we're just trying we're like I don't know man we're just trying we we're having a good time but um, I mean, look, those jokes are funny, and, and I think you know, I think you know, Joan uh, Mo does a great job, job as Joan, and and, and you know, obviously Amy's very funny on the show as well. So, uh, and that's packed in. That that's just in the last like five minutes of the show, right? So, and then you also have Pratt, like you know, just in his underwear at the end of the show. I mean, there's just a lot of there's a lot of comedy. It's laugh out loud funny. Pratt getting into the tent with his big old booty sticking up there in his underwear. Um, by the way, I like that it's set up that. Tom Haverford was a longtime often guest of Pawnee Today. I never, that was news to me. <laughs> and the way, yeah, and the way I mean, Aziz is slouching and like just shamelessly hitting on Joan Calamezzo. Yeah, it's, it, and it's this thing, again, his character was evolving and the idea that, you know, you know, basically he was schmoozing with everybody in town, right? How did you guys come up with uh, Mo Collins? Um, did, was she somebody that was in the, the Amy Poehler comedy world, or did she audition? I think she was kind of in the ether, and her name came up as someone who might be interesting for this role. And thank God, you know, I think she ended up being a per- perfect fit. I think believe she was on Mad TV, and we just felt like this character needed to be kind of a comedy powerhouse, and we didn't want to have someone who's just straight, like sort of be the interviewer, right? We wanted the, what's the, again, like we said, what's the punny version of it, and what's the sort of, loopiest version possible and i think you see glimpses of it in this episode 
But what's funny is as the character develops later on, not only is she clearly an alcoholic of some kind, but she also is pretty mean. <laughs> she's like very mean to Leslie. Yeah. And she's and she loves Tom. I mean, those dynamics it's crazy. Like you have clear dynamics between her and the other characters, and she's you know, she's not even in the regular cast, but she loves Tom. Uh, she's very flirtatious. I think she's later, you know, flirtatious with Adam Scott's character too. So I think it becomes kind of a rich personal narrative for for Joan Calamezzo. I remember, I remember naming Joan Calamezzo like this, like we were coming up with it. So later on in the show, you'll see that Mike sure loves insane names, and so uh, this was pretty early on. Joan Calamezzo not even that insane, but uh, sorry. What I think is so funny is that. When Mike started naming all the characters, he was obsessed with names sounding normal. So when he came up with Mark Brendanowitz, I remember I was his assistant at the time and I said, well, that's a very silly name. He said, that's what people's names are and they are spelled weird and they look weird, but that's just what a human name is. And that was season one, Mike. And by season five, six, seven, he has come up with people named Gretzky, Susan, Pellegrino, <laughs> and and Judy, Sapazapazapazapaz, which is just Zappos as a palindrome twice because it made everyone laugh. So here's a guy who wanted people to sound normal and then pretty much was just intentionally screwing with actors' IMDb profiles. Wait, dig me deeper on the, the IMDb profile. That makes me laugh. What was he doing? Well, Mike had this thing where it'd be so funny if and i think we it cracked everybody up here you are you're auditioning for parks and recreation you're on one episode before this part for this one app and you're in your imdb profile because when you look at people's like especially you know day players you see just like harry cop number one oh, Susan, whatever i get you and then to see that and then judy sapazapazapazapaz that's really funny <laughs> macbeth at royal stratford theater Judy Sapazapazapaz, Parks and Recreation. <laughs> I remember working with Gary Marshall when he was the king of television, when he was, uh, you know, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy, um, I think Odd Couple. I mean, just the king of network television in the 70s. And um, I did a pilot with him that ended up being horrible. But he named my character, and I remember he, he goes, "You're gonna be a tailor. You're gonna be a tailor, a teenage tailor at the jean shop, and you'll wear the jeans, and it'll be looking hot, and the girls will be Tucker Toomey will be your name, Tucker. It's got that double T, Tucker. T it's funny. It's funny." I was like, "All right, Tucker Toomey." <laughs> really, really crazy. I remember one day on the set talking about Mike, and he goes, "I gotta go. I gotta write the names." for all of the headshots of the past Pawnee mayors that are going to be on the wall on the set. You'll, first of all, you'd never see the, the faces, <laughs> let alone the names. And he was so excited to come up with 20 names that you're never going to see. Never going to see. I think the staff also pitched on those names. I think I got a few names in there. You'll never see them. But yeah, it's a lot of uh, uh, just just I think something he really enjoyed and it got him through making the show. So so God bless. But yeah, I can't believe you is as huge baseball fans that you are and that Mike sure is as well that you guys didn't get into that whole thing that I, I like to do to enter entertain myself of great forgotten baseball names. 
That, that was the big thing in the room. I mean, this is a true aside, but one thing we would do in the room was we would play a game called Sporkle, which is a quiz game online where you would, it's like a trivia game, right? It would be like, yeah, who are the, you know, who are, who are the starting lineups for every team in the NBA in 1983? And then you would just go through. At a certain point, again, NBC probably shouldn't know about this, but we were probably playing that game eight hours a day. <laughs> so it's like a true, a true waste of time. I'll keep talking about it. There are many, many Sporkle stories, but there, at a certain point, people were betting on it. Like, you know, you would, you would try, the whole room would guess. People were challenging each other. This was much later after the show had more, been figured out a little more. I think season two, we were still working hard on the show. But later on, it was like, oh my God, it was just quiz games. It was just trying to like, you know, figure out, again, it was a lot of baseball. It was a lot of movies. It was a lot of music it's like whoa the billboard top 200 in 1996 here we go it's like all right pearl jam it's like, it's like a lot of that but yeah that's this is how we procrastinate in the writer's room it was it was it was a, 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 a you gotta waste a lot of time to be productive man you can't you can't just be productive 24 7 no but it is true and that's that's the thing that i think pe- that it is always so interesting about writer's rooms is particularly comedy and, I, and the ones that i've been able to observe with family guy uh, i remember spending some time in their writer's room and. I didn't see them do one second of work. It was, <laughs> there was something on a you know, YouTube video they were watching and that, but that's what you do to inspire yourselves. I mean, that is working. That actually is working because it's, it's, it's unplugging you and, and, and letting your, your sort of fun meter ramp up. Yeah. And it's, it's nice to build camaraderie too. I mean, that's the other thing is like, we all like each other and that helps, you know, if you're staying late to break a story, you're staying for dinner, you know, at least you had some fun that day. Now, can you go too far? Yes. I think it's like, well, if we wasted too much time, then that's why we're here till midnight. <laughs> but generally on parks, we were not there till midnight. So credit to Mike for that. That is a common thing on comedy writing staffs to be there to like sleep in the office and people taking pride in like, I haven't showered in two weeks. I've been working. It's like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> let's work 10 to six or something. And let's, let's be civilized and let's have a good time, but let's work while we're here. And so people can go home and see their families and, or have a single life. If they, if they are in that stage of their life, there's a lot of people that are like, you know what? I think I'd like to stay here till two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I think that's part of it, Rob. I think that's part of it. Yeah. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Welcome back to our studio where we have a special guest with us today, Toucan Sam from Fruit Loops. Toucan Sam, welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. Oh, and um, it's Fruit Loops, just so you know. Uh, fruit. Fruit. Yeah, fruit. No, it's Fruit Loops. The same way you say studio. That's not how we say it. Fruit Loops, find the loopy side. Let's take a swing by the Pawnee Town Hall. The meeting is already in session, as it turns out, and the line is long. 
But at the front of the line, we have someone asking, what's something that resonated with the fans more than expected? I think that's a lot on Parks and Recreation, actually. What would you think, though? What comes to mind for you, Alan? God, there's so many. I like I I, I want to do one of the big ones, but I'll start with a really dumb one. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in the show, and it only resonated in the sense that I remember that is it was kind of like are people watching the show? Um, there was a very small bit <laughs> that it was in an episode. I think my name was on the script, and it was like these gadgets that Tom had invented or was working on, and there he had basically strapped an ipod on top of a roomba like oh. a like a vacuum cleaner like Dude, a, you know, dj a roomba so dj roomba was a thing that i put in the first draft of the script and mike was like i have i don't understand this at all <laughs> like i don't know what this is this is like this is this is nonsense total nonsense and he was like i trust you we're gonna build it so we had the props department build it and then it made the the dj roomba would would go around the set and play music and it was like people love this thing we're like what is this this is and that was what it was like the lunacy of the show had reached had, had reached a certain point oh dude when i got to act with dj roomba i took a picture of it i have a picture <laughs> i have a picture on my phone to this day and i think i actually if you go back in my feed in my instagram i, I think i said got to work with this guy today very exciting. The man, the myth, the legend, DJ Ruba. It was, I knew we had reached full lunacy when it was a recurring character. And then <laughs> later, one, one, one year, a Halloween episode, the DJ Roomba had a costume. It had a ghost costume. And it's like the ghost of <laughs> DJ Roomba is haunting Jerry. It's like, we've gone totally off the rails. I was like, at this point, I don't know what the show is, but I love it. it uh, but that was, a, that was a tiny thing that, that, that I couldn't believe even got in the show in the first place. I can't top DJ Roomba. I mean, I think you picked the absolute perfect perfect epitomization of of parks and rec because everybody knows the big ones the big ones of course are little sebastian galentine's day galentine's day i mean there's a lot treat yourself treat yourself man i forgot about treat yourself god come on (laughs) how about how about you did you think people would start saying literally to you on the streets like when you when you said the first time i don't think you thought that right no i look i've been in the I've been doing acting for a lot, a lot of years, a lot of movies, a lot of TV, and I'd never had a catchphrase. And I was very disappointed. <laughs> and it took me being on Parks and Rec to get a catchphrase. And I got two of them. I got literally, and I got Ann Perkins. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Saying people's names. It's also very versatile. <laughs> it's also like you people can use them in conversation. You just point at someone and say their name, <laughs> or you say literally. That applies anytime, so. Hey, man, congrats. Hey, it's good, 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 good looking out. Well, gosh, thank you all for tuning in. Um, and again, I say tuning in because all my references are dated. Um, you know, there's like, a, like I picture people like having like one of those when they used to listen to FDR in a fireside chat listening to this. Do you think they're doing that with one of those big gnarly radios and like they're by the fire? And the, ki- the kids always sat on the floor. They never got to sit in any of the furniture in those pictures for whatever reason. Yeah, I picture them playing this on like a, 18th century Victrola. Yeah. <laughs> they, they just put on some Mozart and then they put like a huge, there's a huge cone shaped thing they're listening to. That's what, that's, that's very, that's very topical, right? Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm nothing if not hip. Um, thank you all so much. Uh, we have a, a, another really good episode. Episode two, season two, the stakeout. Good episode. Good episode. Next week is the stakeout. That's the one with um, Emilio Estevez and, and Richard Dreyfus, right? Stakeout. Yep. It's a, it's a word for word remake of that movie. Yeah, 
It's going to be great. <laughs> hey, don't forget to uh, rate and review um, our little show, Parks and Recollection. Very important to the show. If you like it, we could really use it um, on Apple. And don't forget my other podcast, Literally. Come on now. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Producer Greg and Producer Schulte. Uh, goodbye, Papani. Thank you, thank you. This episode of Parks and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers, with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Ashley's Memorial Day sale is going on now. Shop our biggest selection of hot buys, cool deals, or shop limited time savings on new summer spaces. Plus, get 72-month special financing on select in-store mattress purchases made with your Ashley Advantage Synchrony credit card between May 14th and June 3rd. Whether you're redecorating indoors or rethinking your outdoor space, save big on this season's trending styles only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required, no minimum purchase required. See store for details. Your home is your place of peace. It's clean. It's welcoming. <sighs> and it's definitely not crawling with invading insects if you use Ortho Home Defense Max. Use it indoors on non-porous surfaces to treat and prevent cockroaches, spiders, and ants for up to 12 months. So your home can stay your place of peace, your work-from-home office, and your family's headquarters. Kill bugs inside, keep bugs outside, and love your home. Visit ortho.com for more.